chapter number 5, please. Go ahead and stand if you would. We'll read our text this morning as Esther chapter number 5. The Bible says in Esther chapter number 5, verse number 1, Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. So she puts herself in, in line with where the king's view would be when the doors get opened, she's setting herself in a place where the king's going to be able to see her. And it came to pass, and it was so, excuse me, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee to half the kingdom. And Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day into the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther hath said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, and it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Then Haman went forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and of the multitude of his children, of all the things wherein the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. And Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did not let, did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she hath prepared but myself, and tomorrow I am invited unto her also with the king." Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. Then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you, Lord, already for... The blessing it's been to have been here. We ask you now to bless your word as we preach it. Give us what we need, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now here in this chapter we see the providence of God making a way for Queen Esther to accomplish what it is that God had for her to accomplish, but it's something that she could have never accomplished in and of herself. It's a very interesting passage of scripture because like I mentioned to you, the whole book has a lot of interest to me because it's a book where the name God never shows up one time in all of the book. 
Yet the hand of God can be seen working behind the scenes. I think it has a great spiritual application to us because we live in a day and time where you're not going to see any great miracles from God. You're not going to see the Holy Spirit of God bringing people to speak in tongues and people getting healed and all the rest of that stuff. You're not going to get to see the miracles. You just live in a very practical and a very real time where we know there's a God and we understand who He is and we've been convicted of Him. We've been saved by His grace. We understand the power of His but you live in a real world where the mundane, routine reality of practical life can sometimes cause you to stop really even considering God. Can stop you from really having faith that God's doing anything much. And Esther's a book that shows really that kind of a perspective where life seems to be spiraling out of control, things are happening, and really where is God in the picture? His name never shows up anywhere in the book, and she's kind of swept away with the circumstances of her life, carried off into a situation she doesn't want to be in, completely out of control, and yet through all of the mess that's happening and the confusion of all the circumstances and the weird twists and turns of her life, the hand of God is running behind all of that to work God's own purposes in her life. I remember years ago, my wife worked somewhere where there was a lot of, a lot of uh, Calvinists that worked there. And she had the wisdom not to get into big debates with them or even take the bait when they tried to give the bait. But she would come home very frustrated because it seemed like everything that happened, it was always like, you know, well, you know, that was God's will. Well, that was God doing it. Well, that's how it is. That's just how God works. It was almost this spirit, and and this could be a harsh judgment, but this is how it was coming across to us. And and not just in this case, but in other uh, Calvinists that I've dealt with, it comes across almost like if you ever complain at all, right? If you ever aren't happy with what happened, if, if you're ever in a situation where, man, this doesn't make sense and this doesn't work and this, this doesn't seem right and, and I, I don't like this, it's like all of a sudden you're not spiritual because God is the one who does everything that happens. It's all God and really there's nothing any of us can do about it because God is the one orchestrating all the details and God is the one dictating every move that everybody makes everywhere you go and really nothing could be farther from the truth. Now, just so you know, that's an extreme version of Calvinism. But they actually hold that position, even those that aren't extreme, when it comes to salvation. The Calvinist says that God picks and chooses who will and won't go to heaven. In other words, it's really not up to you. You're either chosen, elected, or you're not. On the other extreme... You have the Calvinist viewpoint of God. On the other extreme, you get around some to where it's almost like the opposite counterbalance to the extreme of Calvinism, where it's like, well, you know, God doesn't really care. And God's just kind of like the kind of the lazy grandpa in the sky, the Santa Claus in the sky that, you know, he only gives good things and he doesn't really care what I do or don't do. And, you know, it's all good. Everything's fine. And, you know, it's just so practical and so, so detached from the activity of God, the actual reality of God, that there's this comes this lazy Christianity where actually sometimes those people tend to just kind of drop off on their faith. You know, the Bible not really sure because, you know, I mean, God had it 
originally when it was inspired, but men have copied it, you know, and since that's happened, you know, we don't have the originals, and now it's kind of like, you know, ruling out the fact that there's an almighty God whose hand is working in this world and still can and does work miracles even though you don't recognize them or see them. What you hold in your lap is a miracle from God. What I'm trying to say is there's ditches on both sides of the road. So I got looking into this thing because here's what I've heard preached and I'm not taking issue with it. I'm just evaluating it and making sure we're in the right spot. You follow that? I've heard those that are not Calvinists say, well, we don't believe in luck. Well, there's a, a, a word in the Bible called hap. And when you look up the definition of the word hap, it means happened. Almost in the sense of just luck. It just sort of happened. I found it highly interesting that that word showed up in the only other book of the Bible that has a woman's name, which is the book of Ruth. Really interesting. She's another one just caught up in the circumstances of life. Decisions that other people have made have, have rained down on her and changed her life. And, and she's making decisions like Esther as she goes along in her struggle. And she's saying, listen, your God's going to be my God. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. And she goes out and goes to work and gets in the field. And it just so happens to be her hap was to light on a field. So it almost looks like luck. Stay with me. Don't, don't, don't write me off, okay? Not yet. You can write me off when you hear the whole message, please, but don't write me off yet. Kind of looks like luck. Isn't it interesting that in our Bible we got the book of Ecclesiastes? Did you ever read that book? It goes on and on about life under the sun. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, saith the preacher. And he's saying, you know, it doesn't really matter. None of it makes any sense. What happens to the wicked happens to the just. It rains on the just and on the unjust. And what is the point of life? And, and I'm the preacher and I get up and I preach. And nothing to me seems crazier than a man who, who lives his life and he acquires wisdom and he acquires the, the wisdom through the pain and experiences and pressures and problems of life because he sets his heart after wisdom. He goes after that wisdom wisdom. He wants that wisdom bad and he, he gets that wisdom from Almighty God and then he lays that thing out and then he gives it to somebody that doesn't even have a heart for it. From a preacher's perspective, he's saying, here I am, passing out wisdom to people that didn't even care about it or work for it. Or, or He's looking at everything in life, not just work and labor and then death that comes and, and what was the point of building up all this money if then I just leave it and leave it to somebody who doesn't care anything about it and they go and they waste it. But he's looking at it even from a spiritual perspective. When you look at that book, man, that's an amazing book of your Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes. And God put that book in your Bible. It's utterly practical. It's like that whole book is viewed from the human being's view of the world around him when that human being is even trying to do right and he's saying, what is the point of this stinking life? It's so short. There's so many pains. There's so much problems. There's so many inconsistencies. So much is not fair in the world that we live in. And he wraps up the book saying, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still sought out and set in order many proverbs. <laughs> and he says here the conclusion, fear God do his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. From a practical viewpoint. But then you've got Proverbs. And when you look at Proverbs, it's such a spiritual book. I mean, you watch your Bible, God seems to have the perfect... 
understatement of the year here. (laughs) Captain understatement. God seems to have the perfect balance. He seems to see things and know things and understand things we can't possibly wrap our minds around. When I talk about the providence of God, because the overreaction to the Calvinist thing is, well, it's divine providence, it's divine providence, it's divine. Well, I, I got looking for that word and it shows up one time in your whole Bible. So if the providence of God shows up one time in your whole Bible, it, it, cannot, it cannot be something that God wants us to build as a foundation of our theological viewpoint or some hobby horse we stick with because it's mentioned once in your Bible. So in all these years in the ministry, you've really never heard me preach on the providence of God because the one time it appears in your Bible is the book of Acts and it's in reference to a Gentile king. So I got looking at that. Why is everybody so obsessed with the providence of God? Here's how I believe the providence of God works. I think, it, I think what we're seeing in the passage this morning is the intersection of Providence Street with Practical Avenue. Does that make sense? You know what you're going to see in your life? You're going to come to this point. And here's what I believe. I believe they sort of intersect, but if we're right with God, they actually merge. You ever been on 275 out here on 96 and you head down to 275 and you go south? What is it? 275 or 96? Is it 96 east or 275 south? It's both. You see what I'm saying? When you get so super spiritual that you're over here and it's all God, 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 you got into a trap because you're going to wind up messed up. You want to know why? Because life is going to knock you for a loop. And you're, well, God, well, God, well, I thought God, well, why would a loving God let, why would a holy God do? If God was God, then why? God could have stopped this. He could have stopped Adam and Eve in the garden, but he didn't. He could stop everybody from going to hell, but he won't. If it's all about, well, the will of God, well, it must be the will of God. It must be the will of God. My wife got to where she couldn't say anything at that place, but how you doing? Wonderful. Better than I deserve. How was your day? Great. How are you feeling? Praise Jesus. I'm sick because Jesus wanted me to get a virus and make me feel miserable right now. Since I'm right with God, it all, it's all just God all the time. I mean, I'm just so happy. That kind of theology will eventually wreck you because you're going to run into times in your life where what happened to you doesn't make sense in light of a holy, loving, generous, kind, gracious, heavenly Father. But if you get so practical on this side of the spectrum as a reaction to that, then, well, God didn't do it. Well, God doesn't care. Well, this doesn't really matter to God. Well, doesn't really, well God, you're getting caught in the other trap. What we need is to find the intersection of Divine Street, Providence Street, with Practical Avenue, and we need to merge the two of them together because that is exactly how God works. I talked to somebody recently, and he said this. It was so profound. He said, listen, when it comes to major things in life that happen, he said, you may not ever be able to thank God that it happened, but you should get to the point where you thank God for helping you when it did. Ain't that good? That's really, really good. We only get these people, well, you should get to where you thank God for that. Hey, stupid. What if 
I'm not calling you stupid. I'm calling the idea stupid. Okay, I'm trying to get better about this, right? Growing as a pastor. I'm getting older and maturing and all that stuff, right? You don't believe that any more than I do. <laughs> what the, the point of it is, maybe God didn't do it. Maybe the devil did. Why should I thank God for something God didn't do? You see how that super spiritual stuff does damage to people? This morning, I think we can get some real practical help from the text. And we can try to make that merge between practical street and, and, and divine avenue, Providence Avenue. But I want to define for you the word providence before we do. Providence has to do with provision. In the Webster's 1828, it's this, the act of providing or preparing for future use or application. Well, that's consistent with what I know biblically of God. It's foresight. It's foresight. So just because God knew in eternity past who would and wouldn't get saved does not mean God determined who would and wouldn't get saved. Election and predestination in the Bible are always according to the foreknowledge of God, meaning God knew they were going to do it, but that doesn't mean God picked and chosen. That makes sense? If you go to hell, you go to hell because you're a knucklehead and you chose to go to hell. God's given you the gospel. He's given you His Son, Jesus Christ. He's put you here this morning so you could pay attention and you can learn what it means to be saved and know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And if you go to hell, it is your choice, not God's fault. It's your practical decision that damned your soul to hell for eternity, not God overpowering your will. Only a fool would believe a doctrine like that. Why would He send His Son to die on the cross for the sin of the world and limit how many people can get in on that? Are you crazy? You ain't never been a parent if you think that way. So God has foresight. What that means is God knew all the things that were going to happen in my life. Isn't that wild? Before anything ever happened to me, God knew it was going to happen. Providence has to do with timely care. You ever try to help somebody that doesn't want to be helped? You know what the problem is? This is going to be really harsh, okay? The problem is you. Because you have the spiritual discernment to know they need help, but you're not recognizing when to use what God's given you. Because some people that need help don't even have the sense to know they need help. So the responsibility is on those of us with the truth to have a sense of timing and discernment from the Spirit of God to help other people and not drive them off. Does that make sense? I really want to help them. Okay. I've really wanted to help some people for years and God never gave me the opportunity and then all of a sudden, years later, there's the chance. Well, I'd rather hold back and wait and be effective, wouldn't you? You know how effective God is? Do you know God has had things He's wanted to teach me for a long, 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 long time? But I wasn't ready. And He's so patient and long-suffering and kind and gracious and understanding, He sits back and He says, yeah, I'm going to give Him that, but He ain't ready yet. Do you know what that is? That's the providence of God. You know what I can look back at my life and see? I can look back at my life sometimes when things, like I like to say, click. 
I can look back at my life and see 20 years ago, 30 years ago when that happened and I was bitter and angry and upset and frustrated and didn't understand, that was the setup for what he just showed me because if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have got this. I'm talking about providence. I'm talking about the hand of God in the unseen when it doesn't make sense to you right now, when it's not fair to you right now, when it's all scary right now. You can trust the unseen hand of God. You can trust the providence of God. He's timely. It's a wild thing about him. Providence has to do with active foresight accompanied with the procurement of what is necessary for future use or suitable preparation. Do you know God may want to do some things with some of you? But his active foresight recognizes that before you're suitable for that, he has to allow what's going to happen to occur. Is, that, is this making sense this morning? So we're having practical, real-life things happen to us in a sinful world. We're having normal things take place that even happen to lost people. Here we are trying to serve God and I'm trying to get my life to live. And it seems like as soon as I decide I'm going back to church and I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to do right, then it all breaks loose. And like that's timing. You understand the devil works the same way? It was explained to me like this. All this stuff happens to everybody. Where it becomes supernatural is the timing of it. Like, like, how about this one? Here's a great illustration. You and your husband, you and your wife, you guys are going along fine, everything's wonderful, right? And you're a perfect little marriage. And then you hit a rough spot. Don't look at me like that. You hit a rough spot. I know you do. You can pretend you don't all you want, but I know you do. I mean, if, I, if me and her can hit a rough spot and we have the perfect marriage, then everybody else can, right? And it's one thing to have a rough spot for a day or two. It's another thing when you, you know. And that is when on your stupid Facebook or your stupid Instagram, some X will pop up. Everybody has rough spots. That's practical. X's pop up. That's practical. The timing of it was supernatural. You follow that? Do you understand? God operates the same way. God and the devil work so closely together sometimes you can't tell the difference. Read the book of Job. Job, a perfect and upright man, could not tell the difference, didn't know what it was, and couldn't figure it out. And God let him sit there and God said, I'm going to let him boil. I'm going to let him cook. I'm going to let that pressure cooker keep, keep running. And when I'm ready, I'm going to... That's the providence of God. Looking at the providence of God and recognizing, listen, man, I want God's hand in my life. I know God's foresight can prepare me. I know God knows where I'm at. I want to be ready to be used when God wants somebody to use. God's been preparing Esther. God's been working on her. God's been setting her up to bring her to chapter number 5. There's been a process going on in this little girl's life. She lost her mama and daddy. She's raised by her uncle. She didn't have parents like you and I. That'll scar some people. 
But that in God's providence was God saying, listen, I know how I'm going to be able to use this girl. She's going to understand separation anxiety. She's going to be separated from her uncle. She's going to be put in a situation she doesn't want. I'm going to prepare this little girl through the hardships of her life so that my hand can show up and I can accomplish some things in her and with her and through her. She could never do without me. I'm going to do something great in her life. Either way, she'd have had the problems. I'd rather have them with the divine providence of God in them. And that's what Esther did. Notice the purity of Esther. You want to see God's providence at work like Esther? Then there's some things we got to recognize. First of all, the purity of Esther. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. Notice, first of all, on the third day, what's she been doing for three days? Well, we saw it back in chapter number four. Esther's been fasting. You want to see the providence of God? You want to see the hand of God in your life? Then first of all, you've got to prepare your heart like Esther did. She's been fasting for three days and, and she actually gets into this situation and she stalls them out another day. She asks them to come to a banquet of wine the first time and the second time they come to a feast because she's trying to drag out that thing to get to the end of the fasting period. She's trying to hit the pause button on everything. She brings him in. You remember we just read the story? She brings him in. He says, what's your request? She said, my request is come back tomorrow and I'll give you my request. And he says, okay, I'll do it for you. What's she doing? She's trying to pump the brakes on the situation because she's saying, listen, God, this thing's out of control. This thing's very scary. And I might die when I do what I'm about to do, God. I know that I might die. Listen, Uncle Mordecai, I'll do it. You told me I need to do it. I'll do it. But I realize that I might die. And if I perish, I perish. I'll step up to the plate, but I'm a little bit scared. So what she does is she takes some time to prepare her heart and she begins fasting to God. Now, wait a second. Preparing your heart is very practical. There's not a person in this room that can't prepare your heart for the meeting coming up this week. It's an extremely practical thing for her to say, this is a bad situation. I'm going to step aside for a little bit. I'm going to push away from the table for a little while. And I am going to get a hold of God. I need to hear from God. I believe our personal relationship with Jesus Christ is lacking because we don't do the practical thing of saying, listen, I am going to get my heart right. I am going to set my mind up where it needs to be. I am going to begin seeking God. I want God's hand in In my life, I want God to use me and use my circumstances. I'm going out of my way to get my heart where it needs to be so God can show up in this thing. It's utterly practical. But we sit around waiting for God to do something for us. I'm losing my love. I'm losing my fire. Well, get in line. Who doesn't? They're in a relationship in this world that you can just float through and it's always going to be a 10 out of 10. you got to make some practical application to work things out. Your relationship with Almighty God, the spiritual. Well, I don't really know my Bible like I should. I don't really know how to pray like I should. I don't really know. The problem is you don't want to. See, I'm talking about the preparation of the heart. It's a want-to problem. When you want to get a hold of God, I will guarantee you he picks up the phone. You're just not ringing it. 
She went, she went out of her way to prepare herself to get ready for this thing. She st- look at, look at, uh, in chapter number 4, she started the fast. Look at verse number 8. This is where she stalls to complete it. I've, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. So she's stalling them out. Why? Because she's saying, you know, listen, I'm in the spot now. Things are going pretty good. And rather than rushing the decision because it looks like it's going good, she says, can, can we just, can we talk about it tomorrow? Because I don't want to be real fast to make my request because I'm not done talking to God yet. And I got some people with me and they're talking to God too. We want to really know that we got a hold of God before we rush this circumstance and start asking what we want. She has a heart prepared. Do you guys remember Ezra? He winds up on the scene in the right place at the right time, steps in in an opportunity that God had where other men weren't ready. The Bible says because he had prepared his heart. See, he, he was living his practical life and walking through his life by faith. And what he didn't see, he didn't have the foresight that God had in God's divine providence. God had the foresight to see what was coming. Ezra didn't see what was coming. It wasn't about an opportunity for Ezra. He wasn't hurrying up to get right and trying to step in to see the opportunity. He was just a man who had said, listen, I'm going to prepare my heart to seek God. I want to walk with God because of who God is. And then God had an opportunity and Ezra was the man. His heart was prepared. You see, to have God's providence in our life really working, we've got to have our hearts right. Because circumstances are coming, days are going by, the sun's rising and the sun's setting, and your life is going to go faster and faster and faster. And I believe this, I believe most Christians miss their opportunities. I mean, how about being on the job, right? Don't you want an opportunity for promotion? If you were told this is what you need to be doing to get the promotion, you don't want to be sick that day. You want to be there. I, I, I'm not going to say every time, but I will say almost every time I ever got a stripe or a belt when I was training, almost every time that day, I almost didn't go. It was like I wasn't feeling good. You know, I mean, before COVID, we went and trained sick, okay? Not fair, shouldn't do that to your training partners, but everybody kind of understands because this is an obsession, right? So whatever. Almost every time I didn't feel like it, I went, I felt like I was having a bad day, and I'm standing against the wall, and he, he'd, hide the, he'd hide the tape in for stripes, or he'd hide the belt in his, in his gi, he'd wait till we were in the middle of rounds, and he'd go in the room and grab a belt, and he'd tuck it in his gi like that, and then he'd tie it up real tight, and then he'd come and he'd dismiss class, he'd say, line up guys, in his broken English, and he'd say, all right, guys, this guy's been training with me a long time, and everybody's like, who is it? Somebody's getting a stripe. And I'm really proud of this guy, and he works really, really hard at it. Uh, Mike. Now, if you knew that day was coming, but, but that's not how it works. You just go because you're supposed to go whether you feel like it or not, and you don't miss your opportunity. That's how it is with spiritual things. A lot of people miss their opportunity because their heart's just not set on serving God. It's like Rehoboam. You know what the problem with Rehoboam was? You know what God said the problem was? He had not prepared his heart. And as a result, he had the greatest opportunity God could ever give a man, and he completely wrecked it and wrecked everybody around him because he hadn't prepared his heart for the practicalities, the reality of what it meant 
the day-by-day running kingdom. It's that simple. Her purity came from her desire to prepare her heart. She's been fasting. Notice something else. Look at her apparel in chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Esther put on her royal apparel. You know what she had done? She'd gotten ready. You know what she didn't do? She did not jump out of bed that morning with sleepy in her eyes. Eye boogers, whatever they're called. Excuse me. (laughs) It's okay. You can relax. Unbrushed teeth, hair all over the place, inner jammies. Unbrushed teeth. And go stand out there and try to get herself in sight of the king. She had gotten up. She had gotten ready. She had prepared herself to come somewhere that was very important to her. And she was in a spot where she knew the king would see her. She set herself up in line when it describes to you in verse number two where she's standing. It's telling you she positioned herself out there in the court where when those doors opened, the king would spot her. You know what you did by coming here this morning? You put yourself in a position where the king would see you. That's all you're doing. You're standing out there in the court. You came in there. You got yourself ready and you came here to say, listen, you know what we're supposed to be doing this coming week? It's more than, oh, I really like Brother Peacock. He's one of my favorite preachers. He tells great stories. And, oh, he's one of the best preachers. And it it, it has to be more than that if you're really going to get anything out of it. If you're not going to waste his time and waste your own time, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be, hey, listen, I want my king to see me. I've got some requests of him. Hey, I need his help. I need his hand. I got one life to live. And I want something done for the glory of God with what I got got responsibilities on me. I got a family. I got people that look at me. And God's given some of you more and more influence, whether you realize it or not, and people around you. And you need to be using that influence for the glory of God. But you're going to miss the opportunity. I know this is really, uh, I guess you could call it hard preaching for the day and age we live in, but You get in this modern generation where it's just go to church however you want. And you can tell by looking around here, we don't enforce suits and all the rest of that stuff. We're not into all that. You already know that, right? Well, I'm against this sloppy, ridiculous generation. You just show up in church and just, you know, doesn't even matter. It looks like a stinking bar on a Saturday night or a rock concert the way everybody. Don't you care at all? You say, oh, the outside doesn't matter. I agree with that. But the outside is indicative of what's going on inside. It's not normal for a teenage girl to get up in the morning, not comb her hair or do her makeup, and go out in public and walk around in public in her jammies. Something's disordered, disorganized in her emotions. Do you understand that? I'm not criticizing them. I'm not beating them up. I'm saying something is disordered. Something is emotionally off. That's not natural. But that's the generation you live in. And yes, it has spilled over into spiritual things. It's like I was saying earlier, this generation of God doesn't see, God doesn't care, nothing matters, it's all good, everything's fine. Well, that's not the truth. If you really want the hand of God, then you need to go out of your way like she did to put on the things you're supposed to put on and put off the things you're supposed to put off. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4, please. Ephesians chapter number 4, let me show you what I'm saying. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you on wardrobes. You know that. It's funny to me how when somebody's heart gets right, the rest of that stuff figures itself out with time. And I believe in giving them time. 
We don't measure hemlines when you walk in here. And we ain't going to start. Amen? But if your heart's really seeking God, then your hemline will be where God wants it to be. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 20. But, if ye, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now watch it. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, the sloppy jammies. You put them off. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That is entirely practical. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean that is your choice to put on the right things and put off the wrong things. You either do it or you don't do it. There's nothing super spiritual about this. There's nothing like, oh, I want to be more godly. I need to be more spiritual. How am I going to do it? Stop doing the things you're not supposed to do. And start doing the things you're supposed to do. Period. Right? But let me show you something super spiritual. We're talking about where the two ways merge. Go to the book of Revelation. Look at verse number, chapter number 19, please. Revelation in chapter number 19. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready, just like Esther did. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Back to the book of Esther. Here's what I want you to get out of that. It's entirely practical that you go ahead and you do the right things and stop doing the wrong things. Right? You're saved now, aren't you? So you ought to quit fornicating. You're saved now, aren't you? You ought to quit your cussing. You're saved now, aren't you? Well, you ought to ask God to help you quit the cigarettes. You're saved, aren't you? You ought to knock off the alcohol. You're saved, aren't you? You ought to stop being such a selfish brat and thinking it's all about you. You're saved, aren't you? You ought to knock off the dope. Even if they make it legal, it's still dope. You understand that, don't you? I mean, you're saved now. There's some things as a saved man you pull off. There's some things you stop doing because now you belong to the king. You're his bride and you don't want to stand before him in sloppy jammies. You want his hand in your life when things happen. Hey, and they're going to happen. You want to know that he's got your back and his favor is towards you and he's going to help you. You want to know that. You want that peace which passeth all understanding between the time when the doctor says I need to talk to you and the time that they do the biopsy. And if the biopsy comes back bad, you want the peace that passeth all understanding to know that your heavenly father is there when the intersections of practicality and life merge with, you know, providence, providential. You really want Providence Avenue on that thing. You don't want to be left alone on Practical Street. And in order to have that providence, you got to recognize, to know that presence, to feel that comfort, to have God utilize these things in our lives to make us more for His glory and better ministers to other people. Then listen, we got to put some things off and we got to put some things on. It doesn't matter whether you're a loving person or not. You are commanded to learn to love. You're supposed to be charitable. It doesn't matter whether you're gracious naturally or not. 
It's supposed to get some grace about you. It doesn't matter whether you're naturally compassionate and care about other people or not. You're supposed to have some compassion and start caring about something besides yourself, Haman. That's putting on some things. It's putting yourself in the right position for the king to spot you like you did this morning. Like I'm hoping that you'll do this whole week. Like you do in the morning when you get up and open up your Bible and read it and some of you read it and it doesn't really, you don't get a lot out of it. It's utterly practical. You're supposed to just open it up and read it and tonight we're going to talk a little bit about how to bring the utterly practical piece of reading it together with the providence of God and feeding you when you do. But you don't feel like he does every time. And you do it anyways because you're trying to put some things on. I try to make sure there's something in every message that'll help you. But I can't guarantee, I don't even know if everybody gets everything they need every time they come. Or even gets something. But you come anyways. Why? Because you're trying to put some things on. And when you're doing that, he's got something when you get to heaven that he's going to put on you that is utterly providential. Think about it for a minute. You're going through these practical things of trying to do right and put some stuff on and put some stuff off, right? The real life mundane drag of trying to be a Christian. And while you're trying to do all that, you're actually accomplishing some things that you really can't do. I work hard at messages. And you want to know something? I, there's no way I can make a message a good message. I can't do it. I, ca- I can't do it. But God will not step in and breathe on anything that I don't first work for. I'm telling you, God won't do it. Spurgeon said the ministry is 90% perspiration and 10% inspiration. That's just how it works. And you don't have to be in the ministry for the same thing to be true of you. You're supposed to be putting some things on. Esther did. She purified herself. She prepared herself. She purified her heart. She put some things on the outside. And then when she comes to him, look at this. This is really interesting. She seeks his favor, but she didn't assume his favor. Look at verse 4. Esther said, if it seemed good unto the king. Look at verse 8. If I have found favor in thy sight. You know what I notice about God? We want His divine providence, right? We want His hand. And we get this attitude of, you owe it to me, God. That's the, why would a loving God, I've been serving the Lord. and You're not going to see God's providence with that kind of a spirit. I'm telling you right now, you won't see God's providence with this, you owe it to me spirit. He owes you nothing. He, if he never does another thing for me since I was five years old, almost six, just not even a month before my sixth birthday, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and he saved my soul. If he never did another thing for me, he just gave me eternity. Why do we get this attitude of, well, I'm trying to serve God. Why? She's saying, if, if I found favor in your sight, if you'd be willing to. Think about it now from her perspective with a, with a king like him. I'm the queen and I haven't seen him in 30 days. But there's been a bunch of these other girls over here in this harem that are coming back to the queen, the, to the harem house that have been over there. And I don't know if, 
if when I go in there against the rules, if he holds out the golden scepter, I live. If he doesn't, he, I, I die, and I don't know what mood he's in. How great of a husband did she have? She didn't know whether or not he was going to kill her. And he wasn't even Muslim. Although I'm sure that offended somebody. Sorry, I'm just being real, okay? She didn't even know if he was going to kill her. And she still said, if you will. If I've a... She had a little bit of a right to say, hey, the least you could do for me, you jerk. And you and I got a holy God who'd never treat us the way he's treated her. And we go at him like he owes us something. Man, ain't that humbling? Her humility got the providence of God moving in her life in a phenomenal way because God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the... Mm. Leads me to the second thing I want you to see here. Look at verse 11. Haman told them of the glory of his riches, the multitude of his children, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him, and how he advanced him above the princes and above the servants of the king. And Haman said, Moreover, yea, even Esther, the queen, did, not let, did, did let no man come in unto the king under the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow I am invited unto her also with the king, yet all this availeth me nothing so long as Mordecai the king, as I see Mordecai the king sitting in the king's gate. You know what will block the providential hand of God in your life? Your pride. Your pride will block the providential hand of God. And in his foresight, rather than using you for good like he's fixing to do with Esther, he'll use you for evil. Two men in the same situation. One's name is Moses. The other one's name is Pharaoh. God uses one for his glory and for his good and to prepare him for greater things down the road. God uses the other for damnation and destruction and ruin. And each man made made their own choice. Now that's pretty amazing power when Almighty God can sit back and look at a situation like that and say, I'll use him that way, but he's going to pick it. And I'll use him that way, but he's going to pick it. The Calvinists say, well, it says God hardened his heart in the book of Romans. He is a chosen vessel for destruction. Yeah, but if you go back and read the story, Pharaoh hardened his own heart twice before God said, okay, you've made that choice, so what I'll do is I'll make you so hard that when I continue to hammer you, you don't bow the knee where most men eventually would have cracked. I'll make you, I'll make you so hard after he already made the choice. God said, okay, I can still work my will, but you, one guy wound up on the wrong side and the other guy wound up on the right side just because of the decisions each individual man made. You know what happens to Haman? His pride gets the better of him. And you know what happens to a lot of Christians? Their pride gets the better of them. Listen to me. When you won't accept truth, that is your pride. It could be something as simple as, I'll use us for an illustration, sorry Grace. We get into a fight, and you know we're at it, and I'm wrong and she's right. But I'm in this pretty deep now, right? 
because I'm a fighter, and I said a whole bunch of stuff, and I took some really strong stands, but actually now as time passes, I recognize, like, actually I was wrong and she was right. I use that illustration because that's usually how it works out. (laughs) Then I have to go, okay, now I have to make a choice. The truth is I'm wrong and she's right. Am I going to accept the truth or am I going to reject the truth? That's how fragile the truth is. When you begin to reject truth, it is your pride doing that. And when you start following your pride, you're going to miss out on the providential hand of God working things out for your good in life. That's what Haman did. The whole kingdom is bowing to this stupid idiot. And one guy won't. That's like people come to church and everybody shook my hand, but did you see that person walk by me? Did you see she just won't She's always competing with me. Every time I buy a new dress, she buys them. Just obsessing about that one person that's driving you crazy. You're going to miss out on God's hand in your life because your pride is blinding you and blocking you from seeing what God could do for you, Haman. And then you notice with him, this is how it always works. When you got that root, that seed in you, the devil will surround you with people that will encourage you in what you want. Boy, I know, I know people that call through six different preachers looking for advice and get the same thing from five good godly preachers and then find one that will tell them what they want to hear and now that's the guy they're going to for counseling. Six other guys or five other guys told you the same thing and then you found one guy that corrects all them and that's where you go for your counseling? You're looking to surround yourself with people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. You're not looking for truth. And that's exactly what Haman, his wicked wife comes in there, Zeresh. He's all jacked up and, yeah, I can't believe this. He won't bow. It doesn't do me any good. So it doesn't do, I made it all the way to the top, but it's no good. As long as Haman doesn't stand up and bow for me. You ever see that in yourself? You're having a great day and you get all jacked up because of what that one idiot at work said to you? I wouldn't follow that line of thinking. That's pretty frail. That's a pretty miserable way to live your life, Haman. And then, then he's got this wicked wife who's encouraging him in wrong, pushing him to do the wrong thing. You know why? For her own ego. Because in that world, she only gets as promoted as he gets. And she says, I know what to do. And all his friends, yeah, Haman, yeah, that's a great idea. No, idiot, it's not. Because how powerful Almighty God is when you're creating the gallows for your enemy, you're going to hang yourself. The poison of bitterness does not kill the person you're trying to kill. The poison of bitterness kills you while you're preparing it for the other. It's your pride. And I'm telling you right now, church, your pride will block you from seeing the providential hand of God and every last one of us has it. And that was Haman's downfall. Now let me wrap it up, wrap it up in conclusion. Watch this. What's beautiful about this whole thing is the power of God behind the scenes. We've already been looking over and over at the typology of this whole book, right? As it represents Israel and God bringing Israel back in the future and all that stuff. That's amazing to me that God can write a book like this and give us an actual history 
accurate history of the life of a woman and, and how this thing even ties in with our history of what we know. And it's just really mind-blowing all the things that are going on with this king is, you know, the Battle of Thermopylae and all the rest of these things. And God's saying, I'm going to give you accurate history while the world obsesses about all this other Spartans and all this stuff. I'm going to show you something that really mattered to me as God that was going on. And I was turning the course of world history. And I'm not talking about the Spartans. I don't care about them. I'm talking about Israel. And while I'm giving you an accurate history book, I'm also going to give you a prophecy of what I'm going to do in the future with my nation through a woman's life, which is a picture and typology of something coming in the future. How mind-blowing is that? But then, I'm talking about the power of God now. But then you take that thing and you go to a whole other level where he says, I'm going to have him write this down. And in 2022, I'm going to give a message to that individual in that church pew that's going to help them. And if they get a hold of this, it'll change the course of their life. They can merge those two roads together and understand when things happen, you've got an almighty God in heaven that'll work it out for your good and his glory. If you stay with him, he'll work it out for you. And I'm going to convict some hearts. Isn't that a powerful book? You know what's wild about it though? Watch this. Go back to verse number two. Not only the typology and all that God's got woven in there, but look back at verse number two. The king, when she stands there against the law, the Holy Spirit of God taps his heart. He extends, extends the scepter to her. She comes in and she touches the top of the scepter. You know what I like about the power of God? It's the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will. She says, I might die. And God says, girl, you're following me and you're doing what I want you to do and I know this is a miserable situation but you're not going to die. I'll just touch his heart. You know, some of you have gotten promotions and you think it's you. Do you hear me? I've been working hard and I've been doing all the right things. Yeah, on the practical road, you have been. But a lot of other people are on the practical road and didn't get what God's given you. It was God touching somebody's heart to give you what you got. You got spiritual gifts? They're practical. But if they get utilized for the glory of God and anything good gets done with them, it was God that did it. It's the providence of God. God comes in there and He touches the king's heart. And then in verse number 5, Haman, the king says, Cause Haman to make haste, and that we may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman come to the banquet, which Esther has prepared. In verses 6 through 8, he says, What's thy petition? What's thy request? She makes another request. He gives her another request. All the way down through here, God Almighty is opening up doors for her in the middle of a horrible situation, horrible circumstance, a scary deal. God's opening up doors for Esther. And as she's just walking through the doors that God opens, because God's providential hand was working to bring her where he wanted her to be in spite of everything that had been going on in her life. That's the power of God. Do you realize that if you're following God, if you're trying to put your pride down, if you're trying to purify yourself and follow Jesus Christ, that as you continue to do that one day at a time, the providential hand of God will continue to work in your life and he'll bring you places you never thought you would be. But it's an interesting story because you see the providential hand of God working on both sides of the equation. You've got a king over here 
And this king is a pretty wicked man. He gets mad at his wife and he gets all the fair young virgins out of the kingdom and he picks a girl. You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. To him, she was the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. But the next guy might not have thought, how do you not know that God didn't say, I want you to look at her? And he goes, oh yeah, look at her. I'll bet he did. God would never put me in this situation. Don't speak so quickly, honey. This is horrible. Yeah, I know it's horrible. But if God didn't put you in that horrible situation, you'd have wound up dead. Your people would have stayed in captivity. Why would God do this? Just quiet down and wait. Purify yourself. Keep your heart right. Put your pride down. And wait for that great God who does things you don't even know he's doing and can't understand. Let him do his thing. Just stay with him. On this side, you got Haman. Getting promoted and getting everything a man could ever want, yet his wicked heart. Putting him in a position where now he's coming after God's people. How horrible is that? That doesn't make any sense. He's getting promoted. God's putting him in a position to destroy us. Why would God put him in that position? Just don't judge the situation so quickly. Just wait. Now that God put him in that position, we're in a bad spot. (laughs) Just wait. Purify yourself. Put your pride down and trust the power of God because his hand works in ways you can't possibly understand. He's building gallows. There's no turning back now. Just wait because God has ways of hanging him on the gallows he built himself. Purify yourself. Put your pride down and trust the power of God. In the same set of circumstances, you've got God working over here and you've got a man by the name of Mordecai. What are you doing? You're causing trouble about nothing. Stop it. God knows you're, you don't have to take such a strong stand. You know they're going to come after us if you do. Hey, God told me what to do, and I'm standing where I got You knucklehead, you're causing trouble. I'm standing where God wants me to stand. Wait. Purify yourself. Put your pride down. Trust the power of God to do what only God can do. And you got Esther. That poor girl, man, my heart goes out to her. Like, you were, maybe I'm just a girl dad, but my heart goes out to her. Swept up by all the men around her. You got this wicked man on this side. You got Haman over here. You got Mordecai over here. I mean, how harsh was Mordecai, you know? Look, if you don't, God will raise up somebody else and don't think you're going to make it either, honey. Like, <laughs> but it was the truth she needed to hear. That poor girl is all swept up in it. All jammed up and stuck from every perspective. And the weight of the whole kingdom is on a girl that never even wanted it. She never sought for it. I know that she didn't because when all the other girls were saying, bring me this and bring me this and bring me this and bring me this, she said, give me whatever you want me to have. She didn't even want the position God put her in. And she's being run over by everything everywhere but she purified herself. She put her pride down and she waited on the power of God. And now God's put her in a spot where she's fixing to take out Haman and save an entire nation 
Because all she did was practically do what God would have her to do. She did right because it was right. Took the opportunities that were in front of her. Did right with each opportunity. And the providence of God worked miracles she could have never worked in a million years. Which side are you on? You over there with Haman and the king? Or you over here with Mordecai and Esther? I know what side I want on. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.